An outbreak at four high-tech factories in Miaoli County has people worried about Taiwan's high-tech industry. Also, we'll tell you how Taiwan's first domestic COVID vaccine performed in phase two trials. A little later in our show, we'll tell you how many companies are letting people work from home and how they're making it work. Also, some good news. The outbreak is stabilizing throughout most of Taiwan. We'll explain why. And in Hashtag Taiwan, Leslie tells you why you should stay home for the Dragon Boat Festival. This is Taiwan Insider. Welcome to Taiwan Insider. I'm Andrew Ryan. We start today with a pandemic-related story from Taiwan that could have global impact. It involves one of Taiwan's most important industries, an industry that powers computers around the world. Kingyuan Electronics, Great Tech Electronics, Acton Technology, and Fox Semicon are four Taiwanese tech firms in the news. Not for their tech products, but because of their COVID-19 cluster infections. All four are in the western county of Miaoli, and the hardest hit, Qingyuan's facility with 253 COVID cases. The cluster infection at Qingyuan's facility began among migrant workers, many of whom live in close quarters in shared dormitories. Officials say those conditions could cause the virus to spread more quickly. That's why Qingyuan has put its migrant workforce on paid leave and sent them to a quarantine center. Qingyuan closed its factory for two days to undergo disinfection. On Monday, Taiwanese workers returned to the factory where they were met with stricter prevention controls. A Qingyuan representative says that the company has redistributed its workforce to maintain output. Smaller clusters at Greytech, Acton, and Fox Semicon are being closely monitored. Acton has set up rapid testing outside of its factory, but the factory remains closed. Fox Semicon, which is a subsidiary of Foxconn, shut down operations on Monday for three days after six of its employees were confirmed with COVID. Miaoli County government has also set up rapid testing centers near the migrant worker dormitories to test locals who live in the neighborhood. With the country's prize industry at stake, officials are not taking any chances. Now, after this story broke, Miaoli County officials announced a ban on foreign migrant workers leaving their dorms. Now, human rights groups say that the measure is discriminatory. Health officials have also responded. They say that the current level three restrictions that are in place in Taiwan do not ban people from leaving their homes. They also say that those restrictions apply to everyone equally, regardless of nationality. Now, another story that we've been looking at, a local pharmaceutical company has completed phase two trials on a new vaccine. Medigen Vaccine Biologics Corporation says the phase two trials of its COVID-19 vaccine were a success. The company held a press conference on Thursday evening saying it will apply immediately for emergency use authorization from Taiwan's Food and Drug Administration and is hoping that vaccinations can begin in July. Medigen says that 3,815 people took part in its Phase 2 trial, with the oldest participant aged 89. Of the participants who got the vaccine, the company says 99.8% developed antibodies to fight COVID-19. As for safety, Medigen says none of the participants had serious adverse reactions. 
The company says the vaccine produced fewer side effects than some of the vaccines already in circulation, and they say people probably will not have to take the day off due to aches and pains. Medigen is seeking international certification. The company says it will contact the European Medicines Agency and other international medical bodies as soon as possible to organize Phase three clinical trials. The company hopes to ramp up production quickly and produce 10 million doses by the end of this year. Medigen says that its trial shows encouraging results for safety and immune response, and that should mean it helps the body fight COVID-19. But until there's more real-world data, we can't know for sure. Since Taiwan's domestic outbreak began last month, some Taiwanese companies have allowed people to work from home. Now, how common is that? Well, a recent survey of nearly 60,000 people by Yahoo Taiwan shows that 31% of companies have all employees go to work. 22% have employees take turns working from home. That's what RTI does. And 17% say employees are free to choose. That's pretty nice. While 6% have everyone working from home. Now, working from home is really new for most companies in Taiwan. Taiwan Insider Stash Butler talks to some people to see how they're making it work. Even the softest lockdowns are tough. Restaurants are closed, streets deserted, and train stations almost empty. But a lot of offices are still open for business. That's a topic that's received coverage in a range of international media outlets. Most of them highlight a hierarchical workplace culture that's resistant to leaving employees unsupervised. You can get a sense of how the outbreak has affected people's lives by looking at COVID-19 community mobility reports from Google. The data shows that visits to retail and recreation venues are 59% lower than they were in January when life in Taiwan was fairly normal. And visits to transit stations are down by even more, by 71%. But compare that to data for workplaces and you see a much smaller drop, only 21%. So it looks like most companies aren't ready to fully work from home yet. But some companies are ahead of the game. I spoke to Amy Liao, a manager at leading design firm Paradise Design. They have over 50 employees and all but two of them are working from home. She tells me how they made it work. We make a plan, like how we release people batch by batch, and we, uh, we check everyone's home equipment. We have this chart already, so we can see where people live and we can see uh, about their uh, internet system. Proper planning was something that also came up when I spoke to Connor Mitchell. He works for Swire, Coca-Cola and Taoyuan. So we've actually done three stints of working from home now. The first one was last year at sort of the peak, the first peak of COVID. Then uh, a couple of months ago, there was a small outbreak around in Taoyuan. So you're kind of giving it like these two two trial runs and, and it's kind of working out best. You would, would you say the best this third time around? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And there are companies being really innovative with some of their technical solutions. Chen Yuchan, who works in international admissions at National Taiwan University, told me her office is using video calling space GatherTown to recreate their office environment. It was like the second week that all our staff working from home. So one of my very talented colleagues kind of create our office like by the original like uh, decoration. So we can like easily like uh, go to our seat every morning and then like our colleagues can know if we are available or not, or we are going to a meeting room, like almost like the real office. Has there been anything that you've thought, wow, this is actually working, this is working very well? We are more willing to say hello, 
to bid our like um, greetings to each other online. What I have noticed is people definitely schedule a lot fewer meetings. But if we ever need to sort of discuss something, it actually becomes a very quick 15 minute uh, sort of Skype or Microsoft Teams meeting as opposed to sort of a whole hour where you get the entire team in to do a long discussion. It, it, I found in that sense that should become uh, sort of much quicker. Uh, because when we were back in office, uh, we kind of, you know, we see each other, so we don't really know who, who you, what you are doing. But uh, after we this, have this online check-in um, rule or principle, uh, we, we really know what they are doing. I think the biggest positive I've noticed, I think especially last year, I think a lot of the middle management were actually very reticent about letting everyone work from home. And it was seen as a really big negative. I think in Taiwan, there is a culture of managing teams very closely and less of a, I'm just going to let you go off and do your thing. I know you'll get it done. Don't worry about it. So I think people learning that in, you know, that can be done here is quite important, especially as I think in the future, it's not just something I think that people back in the UK want. I do think, you know, talking to a lot of young people in the office, they love the amount of flexibility and they're hoping that in the future, a couple of days a week, maybe it'll be possible to work from home. I think young people view it as a big positive that they've been able to do this kind of in a forced trial run that should in some ways help the work culture, I think, become a bit more in step with modern workplaces. What do you think is the key to making kind of working from home you know, work if you're a company? Like, what are the things you need to do? So basically, you need to make all your staff can communicate with each other. So a lot of apps or softwares. I think it's just the, the will to be to try your best to be connected to people. Uh, I mean, I'd say there's two sides. Firstly, you need your management to trust your younger, more junior staff. I think it, working from home becomes very inefficient if people are continually being sort of called into an online Skype meeting and then it becomes sort of overload and you're doing even more meetings than you would before. I think on the technical side, you need really stable sort of office servers and you need really good connection to those office servers. And the benefits aren't only professional. What's, what's been the, the kind of the biggest positive to come out of it? Um, can I say that my work-life balance has improved? <laughs> <laughs> For me, working from home means the flexibility to get things done to my timetable. Plus, I get to spend more time with my flatmates and work on personal projects. And of course, it's nice to have the option to take a mid-afternoon nap. The benefits are there for employers and employees alike. So if a company's looking to start preparing for the future, there's no time like the present. Looks like Stash really enjoys working from home, and I do too. I think it's great to not have to commute to work. That's a lot less stress. You save a lot of time, and also it's much easier to balance work and family. I think this kind of policy, if they use it in the long run, actually could help Taiwan's birth rate. Andrew, what about you? Oh, it's interesting. I didn't think about that. Now, for me, I think when we started working from home about a year ago, I was very much against it. Um, I feel, felt that we didn't really have the systems in place to do it properly. And, you know, I missed you guys. I wanted to see my coworkers. But I think uh, a year out, uh, we know what we're doing better, and I think we have a better handle on the situation. And I think we, we use video chatting much better than we did before. So things have definitely improved a lot, and I'm actually starting to enjoy parts of it. Now, we also have some more good news today. Some new figures out of Taiwan show that the outbreak is stabilizing, and it has something to do with the R number. Now, Liso has more in today's Taiwan Explained. 
So what's an R number? Well, it's a reproduction number, which means how many people on average one person with the virus will spread the virus to. Now, mid-May, Taiwan's R number was 15. That means one person was spreading it to 15 people. And the good news is now it's down to one. That means it's stabilizing. But we can't let our guard down yet because it could spike really easily. Next up on Hashtag Taiwan, Leslie Liao tells us why we need to stay home for the holidays. Dragon Boat Festival. Dragon Boat Festival is around the corner. This weekend is a long weekend with the festival itself landing on June 14th. It's a time for dragon boat races, sticky rice dumplings, and visiting family. Not this year, though. I don't know if you heard, but Taiwan is in the middle of a COVID-19 outbreak right now. So even if it is a long weekend, they're telling people not to go anywhere. Taiwan's health ministry posted this picture to Facebook urging people to stay at home. Home. Don't go visiting nobody, all right? No mama, no papa, no auntie, no uncle, no grandpa, no grandma, no cousins, no nobody. The movement urging people to stay at home is trending on social media because there are a number of factors here that could cause this outbreak to blow right up if people are on the move. Chinese lesson time. Bei Piao Zhu means people who wander north. The term describes people who are from other parts of Taiwan but moved to northern Taiwan in search of better job opportunities. And that's because Taipei City is the best place in the entire world. Taiwan Insider Editor Jessica Cheng is a Bei Piaozu. She's from Jiayi in southern Taiwan, which is right around here. Anyway, northern Taiwan has been hit the worst by this most recent outbreak. As of recording, Taipei and New Taipei City have close to 9,000 locally transmitted COVID-19 cases, which is about 75% of all COVID-19 cases in Taiwan. Just to give you an idea, Taoyuan City has the third most domestic cases at around 500. So people are worried about a bunch of Bei Piaozu returning to other parts of Taiwan, bringing the virus to the rest of the country over Dragon Boat Weekend. If people don't stay at home, what's happening in Taipei and New Taipei City now can spread to other parts of the country, just making this outbreak a whole lot worse. There's also risk of transmission between passengers if people go ahead and crowd mass transportation. Taiwan's YouTubers and politicians have gotten together to urge people to stay home. One Tainan funeral parlor even posted to Facebook saying, Sure, go home. Go ahead. Give me some business. Now that's just plain morbid. Another graphic circulating on social media says, If you go home to honor your deceased ancestors, you might become one yourself. Now, you might be thinking, what do we do about the people who book their tickets to go home way in advance? What do we do about them? Well, the good news is that transportation authorities in Taiwan, whether they be train, high-speed rail, or buses, say they're waiving the cancellation fee if you're having second thoughts about going home. I know that for a fact because I asked Jessica Chang who canceled her high-speed rail ticket home, which, by the way, great job, Jessica, and I know you see this because you're the one putting it together. And she said she was not charged a transaction fee. And for now, it looks like that the campaign is working because transportation companies have reported ticket returns all across the board. In fact, only 7% of train seats have been booked for the weekend, which is absolutely unheard of in Taiwan. Now look, I know it's tempting to want to go home over a long weekend, especially during Dragon Boat Festival, when there are sticky rice dumplings to be had. And you might be thinking, well, that's easy for you to say, Leslie, you're from Taipei. True, I might be a proud Taipeier. Taipei? Taipei citizen, but Grandma Liao is in Taichung. And if it weren't for COVID, I'd be spending my long weekend with her. But if I can fight the temptation to go visit Grandma Liao, then you can survive a long weekend away from your family. 
Grandma Liao is 97. She does not need to be 97 with COVID. Now, before we leave you today, let's take a look at some of the other stories from this past week that have been on our radar. U.S. Senators Tammy Duckworth, Dan Sullivan, and Christopher Coons made a visit to Taipei on Sunday morning, arriving in a U.S. Air Force plane. In a speech during the three-hour stopover, Duckworth announced that the United States will donate 750,000 COVID-19 vaccine doses to Taiwan as part of a plan to distribute at least 80 million doses worldwide. President Tsai Ing-wen met with the senators and expressed her thanks for the vaccines. The U.S. Senate has passed a bill aimed at helping American industries compete with China's rapidly growing high-tech sector. It includes several sections that affect Taiwan, including the creation of a Taiwan Fellowship for U.S. government employees to work and study in Taiwan. The bill would also allow Taiwanese national symbols such as the flag to be displayed in the U.S. for official purposes. Taiwan has expressed its gratitude to Japan for a donation of 1.24 million COVID-19 vaccine doses that arrived June 4th. In addition to thanks from officials such as President Tsai Ing-wen and Health Minister Chen Shih-jong, signs of gratitude also came from such Taiwanese icons as Taipei 101 and Taipei's Grand Hotel. Taiwan's beloved night markets are feeling a financial squeeze as COVID-19 keeps them from opening. Losses at Kaohsiung's famed Reifeng night market are so severe that it may have to close permanently if the situation doesn't improve soon. Some lawmakers are calling for relief measures to keep these Taiwanese institutions afloat. All right, instead of a final question today, we're going to show you what we look like when we work from home. Let's start off with Nally. All right, when I'm working at home, this is what people usually see in video chats. I think I look fairly professional here, but actually, I'm usually just sitting on my bed surrounded by pillows with my cat Felix by my side. All right, we go now to Leslie. So for my work from home environment, I just want to show you guys the studio where I film uh, hashtag Taiwan from. Now, what you see is pretty straightforward, right? You guys get the backdrop, and then um, to my right is usually consoles and soundboards and all that technical stuff. What you don't see, however, is to my left and to my right are actually two gigantic spectating windows, one leading out into the hallway and one leading into another studio that I think the French service at RTI uses. I get very animated, I have a lot of expressions, and I can only imagine what the French service sees uh, when they look at me through a soundproof glass, just seeing me make all these gestures and expressions. Not only that, but I sometimes forget that, you know, this, this studio environment can be pretty isolating, so I like to blast my music while the computer's loading up and sing to myself sometimes, and I, I think one time I forgot that one of our French colleagues were in there and they just saw me doing stuff I'm not proud of. All right, and finally, this is what my coworkers usually see when I'm working from home. You can see that's the red background that I usually use in my uh, dining room. And then this is uh, what they don't see. Yep, I'm wearing uh, flip-flops and I uh, have a nice uh, glass of wine next to me. Well, call it what you like. I call it self-care. Well, thanks so much for joining us for Taiwan Insider. I'm Andrew Ryan. I'm Natalie So. Have a great holiday at home. And I'm Leslie Liao, coming to you from my bedroom window. And as always, be sure to connect with us on social media and leave a comment below. We'd love to hear from you. See you next week.
RTI, exercise for your mind. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I am Natalie So. Taiwan is in the midst of its worst outbreak ever of COVID-19. We've been seeing cases in the triple digits since May 15th, and Taiwan is on a soft lockdown where people do not go out unless they have to. Uh, people are still working, but many people are working from home. Now today we hear from a top epidemiologist in Taiwan, Dr. He Meisheng. She is also a professor. Of biomedical sciences at Taiwan's leading research institute, the Academia Sinica. I talked to her today about vaccines and variants, and also the issue of testing. Now, Taiwan has not done mass testing, except for places where there are outbreaks, and currently the policy is only to test people who have. Had contact with current cases or who exhibit symptoms. Now, I asked Dr. Hu if she thinks there should be increased testing in the population to find all the hidden cases out there. I've been often asked these questions, and I still calculated a little bit uh, in my head. Right now, say we have fifteen, we have five thousand. Confirmed cases, and if say there are five thousand outside, and of course five thousand, they may spread a little more. So, so there are ten thousand, and you can say all these say say you have twenty thousand cases totally around in the city, and then you you try to see whether. Um, you will be able to identify them. So even in the metropolitan Taipei and New Taipei area, see the number is so low. This moment, you try to identify them. It will be so laborious and take so much resources. And especially at this moment, we are all sort of staying at home. So, um, and also to test them with current sort of the way we are handling this epidemic. Testing itself is um, medical care. It's a healthcare behavior, basically. So it requires technical people, and it would also draw our healthcare resources. And as you know, you probably have heard that at this moment we try to preserve our medical facility and human resources for, you know, the more severe cases. We try to get through this most difficult period, so we don't even think about sort of mass screening at this moment. So, Dr. Hu, how anxious are you about the current situation? Not really very anxious, actually, <laughs> because you know I'm an infectious disease doctor. We've right. seen we've seen a lot of this situation, and we know how to put the figures. Although I know human are not figures, but still, when you put in a public health contact, that you have to count the numbers and to know how extensive it is. When we put the figures in the perspective, it's really not very bad. You know, we although in the past three days we were counting six deaths, but if you put it in the number of elderly and look at the death rate and etc., although it would go up obviously, but it's still relatively low compared with. All these other countries over 80 years old, over 60 years old, 70 years old, the death rate, we are far from the death rate that have been reporting. So 
the moment important thing is our healthcare capacity. That's that's the one thing. It's going to be the bottleneck of what we can do. So we do the best to try to preserve it. Are we worried at all about variants? There's so many different variants that are mutating. How big a danger does this pose to the world and to Taiwan? Well, the variants, we looked at it. It's just another issue one have to deal with. We, we do have the technology. We have the technology to detect them. We have the technology to have better vaccine. We also know that if you give the current vaccine, if you keep the neutralizing antibody level high enough, there's still some level of protection. We know the variants are located in some places and uh, um, international borders are not fully opened yet, at least uh, at least the openness is selective. It's open to some countries but not to others and that's the practices. So it will allow, again, doing so is not a permanent measure. It's just a temporizing measure. Allow us to buy time to prepare us for the variants. So the vaccine companies are testing whether current vaccine is sufficiently um, effective and whether new vaccines will be necessary and it's being tested, etc. My confidence is seeing that the technology would ultimately take hold and to control this situation. News has it that Taiwan will be getting 2 million vaccines in June and a total of 10 million by August. Is that enough? And is that soon enough? It's not enough. Of not course enough. not right. enough. But um, one has to think of this. It takes time to administer this vaccine. And we are still yet to see how efficient, especially the 2 million doses are Moderna. And that's, you know, there's still some requirement. It's, quite it's quite different from what the usual vaccine that I'm talking about the transporting and storage condition in terms of uh, temperature so I'm here to see how effective that our people can deliver the vaccine so uh, people is being saying that Moderna was uh, we had pre-procured five million doses and now two millions coming in but you know of course five millions cannot come in at the same time so we kind of have to take time to digest it it's not enough of course by august but i don't know whether we'll be really be able to administer 10 million doses in one month so everything takes a little time so it just gotta go on its course and the same time that we continue to keep it so everyone lives in a semi-normal manner. So it looks like Taiwan will have three different types of vaccines, AstraZeneca, Moderna, and our local vaccine. Can you tell us what you think of these vaccines? Will you be willing to take any of these vaccines yourself? I would say this in a very careful manner because I know whatever I say, people follow. So <laughs> That's right. You're it's, it's true. This morning, I two days I went to buy some passion fruit and they didn't have it. Second time I asked passion fruit, the guy says, oh, that's something we have to eat. So thank you for telling us. <laughs> oh my God, that's just something I like. So I have to be very careful about what I say. But basically each vaccine has its strengths and disadvantages. And of course, the newer technology people, you know, it, it, the newer technology has its 
advantage. That was basically the reason why 20 or 30 years ago, people began to work on DNA vaccine and RNA vaccine because they would definitely be more antigenic because these are technology involves deliver the gene, the viral gene into cells for the cell to produce the uh, viral protein, which serves as the vaccine target. So our uh, immunity would would uh, make the antibody against this target. So that is much more effective because it's inside of cell, it takes time to produce it. It would alert our immune system to say something's here and they would develop the immunity much better, would be almost like against a, a true natural infection. Whereas the conventional subunit vaccine or say protein-based vaccine, which are the local companies are made, with the protein vaccine. That just divert to the local side, depending on the alertness of the local immuno cells to present it and it's something less controllable. So generally immunogenicity would be less. That's just, you know, I'm not talking about this 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 company or that company. It's just in a general sense. So you say each one have their advantages or disadvantages. For the uh, gene vaccine, after administration, one would probably ex experience a very strong um, inflam inflammatory response, which is good because that means you are developed immunity against it. A lot of people report they were tired or whatever for one or two days. But for the protein vaccine, it was, it's not going to happen. So there is some good or bad, and you can be sure that protein-based vaccine is not going to be so immunogenic. And we do know that the U.S. company called Novavax, it's another, that's the only protein-based vaccine is close to be licensed and I'm not sure what, what's the holding up because they have presented their data looking quite good. But right so now. do you so, have a preference for the type of vaccine that you would want to get? I have to say because I had participated in the vaccine trial. So I had been administered two doses of one of the two local vaccines. Oh, okay. The, the reason why, because they have been announcing again and again that they were shorting, there's a shortage of uh, participants, subjects over 65 years of age. So I just uh, gather my, me and myself and with all my- You're not over 65, are you? Well, I'm over 65, so we- No, kind of I can't them. believe that. You look so young. So we just help them to get their numbers, you know, basically that's the situation. Good or bad, you need to have numbers to know it's good or bad. And the earlier we know it's good or it's bad, the better off we are. So that's the situation. So with no presumption of whether it's good or bad, we just participate in it. <laughs> it's hard to believe you're over 65. You look so young. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so would you suggest that um, people take whatever vaccine that's available to them? What are your suggestions in terms of vaccines? Personally, if there is a choice, I would, I would say the AZ vaccine, the younger female, you know, should stay away from that if there's a choice, of course. What is younger mean? What age is younger? Uh, different countries with different standards, I believe uh, previously, I cannot match the country to the number of us like Germany and uh, Swiss, Switzerland or whatever. They were sitting at 60 or 65. And I know previously the Koreans sat at 30. One thing one must know that the, the concern is something called um, 
cerebral um, venous thrombosis and that generally we know for the reasons we don't know but we know that the Asian population is has a lower risk for acquiring such disease so but still we are very concerned about that and even though the instance is like it's like a million if you mm -hmm. administer a million doses you may get four you know four, four. is that the blood clots that people have been talking about yeah that's the blood clots yes yes and and so younger female try to stay away from that if possible but at this moment because our shortage of vaccine and the our government or it's not advising that just administer and so far seem to be no problem so you're actually vaccinated then right we don't know because i may be in the placebo group but i don't <laughs> think i am because from my reaction i have a little local reaction i do know another person uh, went with me she had no reaction at all so none what was your reaction uh just on the second dose uh local side with swelling hot heart a little pain you know and, and that, how long did that last three days three days yeah so, three days so i consider i consider it's a really quite severe reaction because it's hard and red it's hard red hot you know just on the the arm side that the the administration side but i think it's okay i just stopped playing tennis or you know i just let it rest for a few days. Yeah. That is Dr. He Mei Shang, a top epidemiologist here in Taiwan. She's also a professor of biomedical sciences at Taiwan's leading research institute, the Academia Sinica. Now, I was surprised and intrigued to find out that she um, was a part of the vaccine trials for Taiwan's domestic vaccine. Taiwan's domestic vaccine has been a topic um, in the news because it hasn't yet gone through phase two trials. We don't know how safe and effective it is yet. We'll hear more from Dr. He next week about how long she thinks this outbreak will last in Taiwan and how we can keep ourselves safe and healthy, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally as well. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. science and tech news, it's Stash Butler with The Download. Welcome to The Download, a brand new show from Radio Taiwan International covering all the latest developments in science and technology. I'm your host, Stash Butler, and I'll be taking you through everything you need to know. Today, I continue my conversation with Dr. Eric Helmer from Academia Sinica about the plastics industry in Taiwan. He tells me how the industry is expected to balloon in the coming years and that recycling may not be all it's cracked up to be. All that coming up on The Download.
asked Eric if the recent global movement against single-use plastics has really affected plastic production. Well, I, I think that uh, without a doubt, it's, it's affected companies, as I said, from, from the top to the bottom. ExxonMobil down to Nestle and Coca-Cola, you know, they've all signed on to these global agreements to reduce plastic waste and, and to promote recycling. So I think it's definitely drawn the attention of, of companies, and it's also affected investors' sentiment as well. Um, you know, I was recently attending the AFPM, which is the Association of Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, the largest trade industry for, for, for petrochemicals and, and refining in the U.S., and you know, listening to people from large investment firms talking about ESG standards, so these environment, sustainability, and governance investing principles and standards, everybody is pushing to see those things reflected in, in their investments. So I think that's also something to keep in mind. But on the flip side of that, you have a sort of uh, paradox here, right? whereby because plastics are sort of a visible, tangible, end-of-life sort of thing for us to understand, it becomes a bit of a problem of the industry sort of being able to uh, offload responsibility onto the consumer. So policies passed by governments to ban things like plastic bags and straws, you know, we've seen that kind of stuff here in Taiwan. Uh, th those can have a, a pretty good uh, effect, a measurable effect of, of reducing single-use plastics. But at the same time, you have a ton of money. These industries are, are, are putting money into these ideas of the circular economy, right? Into, into ideas of recycling. And, you know, it, it's become a, a bit of, of what we might call greenwashing. So it's the idea that you make something sound environmentally friendly, and it might be in some sense environmentally friendly, right? But, you know, when you focus on this one thing, which is plastics ending up in the ocean, plastics ending up in landfills, it really narrows down and oversimplifies the environmental impacts of this thing. And, and they've done a really good job of that. And uh, right now, you know, they're all touting recycling and, and circular economy, but nobody's forecasting anything other than growth. You know, growth forecasts are three and a half to four percent from now through 2050. That's per year, right? So we're talking about, you know, as oil and gas industries move away from producing fuels for, for private automobiles and airplanes and, and for, you know, oil energy plants, they are pushing more and more into the petrochemical sector. So it's, it's, it's great to think about recycling and, 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 and recycling can do some good things, but we have to be really careful with oversimplifying this, this problem and, and turning it into something that just focuses on consumer behavior. So you talk about how the oil and gas industry is kind of moving its resources into plastics to kind of compensate for its losses in, in kind of traditional things like, you know, uh, I guess, suppose, you know, gasoline and things like that. But where are they expecting the kind of growth in demand for these kinds of things? I mean, is this plastic going to be sold to the developed world? Is it going to be in these industrialized countries or are we expecting growth in kind of other parts of the world to make up for the push against single use plastics? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. It's so far, you know, the, the vast majority of plastics consumption and waste production has come from from the wealthier part of the world. Right. Um, but those dynamics are changing as you have, you know, more and more economic growth and development in different parts of the world, you know, pr particularly in Southeast Asia. And and so it, the geographies of this are, are shifting. And of course, uh, if you if you look at 
the, the, the total overall production of plastics, uh, there was a study done in 2017 trying to measure, you know, how much has been made throughout the entirety of human history. And, and we're, we're talking about really about since the 1930s that, that most of these modern plastics have been uh, commercially available and really after World War II. Currently, over 40% of those plastics are going into single-use packaging, right? So mm. that is something that's cheaply available to everybody everywhere, and uh, it's, it's really not uh, going anywhere. And that's definitely, I think, where that's where the growth. If you just look at the real numbers, right? If that's making up 40% of your business, you're not expecting or, or hoping for a real reduction in that down the line. So we have some talk about bioplastics and, and that can mean two different things, you know, something that's biodegradable or something that's made out of a biofeedstock. So instead of it being made from oil or natural gas, you know, it's made from largely right now sugarcane uh, turned into ethanol. That has its own set of problems, but you know, again, we're going back to the recycling issue. Not everything that is, is bio-based is biodegradable and not everything that's biodegradable is bio-based you know so these aren't necessarily seen as, as real solutions mostly for practical economic reasons but also for environmental reasons so is it fair to say we're being oversold recycling as, as a solution to this problem i definitely think that is a a, a fair statement right um it, right now most of what we talk about when we talk about recycling is what the industry would call mechanical recycling right so the recyclability is is it varies tremendously and when we talk about recyclability we're talking about you know the ease with which you can collect sort clean and then uh, you know melt down these plastics and then we're also talking about what can you make out of that final product so in mechanical recycling you're breaking things down into a pretty poor quality kind of chemical state you're just sort of literally melting it back down into something that hasn't changed very much and there can be a lot of impurities and stuff so this is often talked about as as downcycling right that there's a, a different kind of recycling chemical recycling or or advanced recycling and, and this can be seen as upcycling being able to completely convert that used plastic all the way back into what they call you know its virgin state which is to say that it's the same as if you would have just made it out of out of uh, its you know ethylene or propylene to begin with that is not something that we are seeing happen at any scale it, it, it's not likely to, to to really roll out at any scale at, at any point in the future much less in, in you know the near term and, and so when we talk about recycling, we're talking about that first part. And there's really only so much you can do with that. So when, it, when it's just simply a heck of a lot cheaper to make new plastics than to go through this whole process of making you know, lower quality plastics that can't be you know, turned into a, a lot of these things. We talk about engineering plastics, things that go into automobiles, things that go into uh, renewable energy, things that go into our computers and our smartphones. You know, th those aren't things that we can use recycled plastics for. And even though those are niche kind of markets in terms of, like I said, 40% of plastics or more is going into packaging, those are still high profit, high value markets. And uh, right now there's no real way or interest for turning recycled plastics into those kinds of products. That was Dr. Eric Helmer from Academia Sinica telling me that recycling may not really be the solution to our plastic problem. And that's all we have time for. Next week, 
Eric tells me what he thinks is the real solution to making plastics sustainable. That's next week with me, Stash Butler, on the download. This is Highlights, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. We start today with a pandemic-related story from Taiwan that could have global impact. It involves one of Taiwan's most important industries, an industry that powers computers around the world. Qingyuan Electronics, Great Tech Electronics, Acton Technology and Fox Semicon are four Taiwanese tech firms in the news. Not for their tech products, but because of their COVID-19 cluster infections. All four are in the western county of Miaoli, and the hardest hit? Qingyuan's facility with 253 COVID cases. The cluster infection at Qingyuan's facility began among migrant workers, many of whom live in close quarters in shared dormitories. Officials say those conditions could cause the virus to spread more quickly. That's why Qingyuan has put its migrant workforce on paid leave and sent them to a quarantine center. Qingyuan closed its factory for two days to undergo disinfection. On Monday, Taiwanese workers returned to the factory where they were met with stricter prevention controls. A Qingyuan representative says that the company has redistributed its workforce to maintain output. Smaller clusters at Greytech, Acton, and Fox Semicon are being closely monitored. Acton has set up rapid testing outside of its factory, but the factory remains closed. Fox Semicon, which is a subsidiary of Foxconn, shut down operations on Monday for three days after six of its employees were confirmed with COVID. Miaoli County government has also set up rapid testing centers near the migrant worker dormitories to test locals who live in the neighborhood. With the country's prize industry at stake, officials are not taking any chances. Now, after this story broke, Miaoli County officials announced a ban on foreign migrant workers leaving their dorms. Now, human rights groups say that the measure is discriminatory. Health officials have also responded. They say that the current level three restrictions that are in place in Taiwan do not ban people from leaving their homes. They also say that those restrictions apply to everyone equally, regardless of nationality.
visit rti at english.rti.org.tw. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.